There's a new party that has emerged. It's actually, a, it's a fusion of two parties. One is called Religious Zionism, and the other is Otsma Yehudit. That's Hebrew for a Jewish power. Who are the current leaders of Israel, and how can we pray for them? Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're talking with Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem to answer that very question. Joel, it's great to have you with us again on the podcast. Well, it's great to be with you, Carl, and uh, it, uh, it must be Groundhog Day again. Oh, no, I mean, it must be time for Israeli elections again. You know, we are the only real true democracy in the Middle East, and we pride ourselves on that. But, oh, my gosh. So as we record this, we're, we're just about a week away from our fifth round of elections in less than – four years, right? In about three and a half years, we've had five rounds of elections. I've voted, I've voted already uh, six or seven times since I became a citizen. uh, And we only have one national election. So the point is, uh, now, as people are listening to this, the elections have happened. We're not a political organization at all. So we're not trying to provide you this information. So you can vote, obviously, most of you are not Israeli citizens, uh, but so you can understand. And I I can almost be certain, Carl, (laughs) almost, that we don't really know, even when people are listening to this, who exactly is going to be at the top of the greasy pole. But but the Bible tells us to pray for leaders and all those in authority. And it's super important. But but to pray for someone, it's best to have some idea who they are, what they believe, and what their background. And and I think it's important. And I, I, I don't know why we haven't done this yet. On the podcast, yeah. but it's a good time to do it, as well as you know, the American elections have, um, are still two weeks away as we record this, but that will have a bigger implication not only for Americans but for U.S.-Israeli relations, U.S. Right. policy towards Iran, and so forth. So, I think it's a good time to talk about leaders. Right. Well, I, I totally agree, Joel, and it is uh, it's on our minds here in the U.S. Uppermost, obviously, we have a political system that uh, gives us uh, cycles of elections every two and four and six years for different offices and so forth. But uh, maybe you could just give our listeners uh, a little bit of an overview of what are the differences between the U.S. political system <laughs> and its elections and uh, and the Israeli elections. You know, we often talk about Israel as, uh, you know, the, the preeminent democracy in the Middle East, but it's a different form of, of government. Uh, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that for our listeners. Yeah. So the Israeli system is a parliamentary system, uh, really patterned after the British. Now, the British, you know, I, I saw a political cartoon today uh, on Twitter that uh, there was a tourist, an American tourist in London, and they're asking somebody, you know, at the visitor bureau, or the, and the person says, well, you can see the changing of the guard every morning at, you know, 10 a.m., and the changing of the prime minister would be every afternoon at 4. And uh, so as we speak... You know, Liz Truss just finished 45 days or something like that as prime minister. And now we've got a, a new one, too. So that's a separate issue. I hear she's moving to Israel now and is going to run. Yeah. <laughs> She'll fit right in. So, yeah. But because the British Empire controlled uh, this territory, which was then known as Mandatory Palestine, the U.N. had sort of given control of this 
area, Israel and what we now consider Jordan and, and uh, other parts after the collapse of the uh, Ottoman Empire. And so the Israelis took the British system, the parliamentary system, which was, of course, also the primary uh, governmental system of all of Europe. And most Jews were coming from Europe, right? The Jews that were coming from the Arab Muslim world, they didn't have any governments to speak of that were uh, anything that you'd want to uh, replicate. Okay. So it's a parliamentary system. So what that means is you don't vote for a prime minister. You vote for a party that is as close to your values and objectives as, as you can think of, as you can find. And then you know the slate, you know the list of who's at the top of that list. If that person, you know, you basically, you might be voting for that person, but it comes with a whole list. And each party gets a percentage of the seats in the parliament, the Knesset, based on what percentage of the overall vote they get. Now, there are minimums. There's a threshold here where at the minimum, you would your party would hold four seats. And if you don't get enough votes to merit four seats in the parliament, you don't get to be in at all. And so all those votes are, you know, essentially wasted. So the goal was to try to make sure that you didn't have complete fringe parties, you know, with one seat is or dominating the political scene. So that's the system. The country was founded by um, socialist labor party, left wing ideologues coming from out of Europe, out of, uh, you know, Poland and Russia and, and mostly central and Eastern Europe and, and Russia, the Russian Federation back in the, you know, in the thirties and forties and founding the country in 48. And they were all basically, you know, most people here in Israel were very left of center thinking, yes, socialism is good, maybe even communism is good, but not the way they're doing it in Europe because they're killing all the Jews and taking away all of our stuff. But amongst ourselves, this seems like a good way to fashion ourselves. Let's not get into whether they were right or wrong. The point is that was how the country was founded. But Israel is one of the few democracies in the world where there almost isn't a left wing anymore. The country has moved dramatically to the center and, more importantly, to the right. And there are a number of reasons for that. Mostly it's security-based, meaning the left wing always said if you give land, you'll get peace. But every time Israel gave land, they got more terrorism and more war. So that began to not just chip away. It blew up right. the the whole foreign policy objective of the left wing. And the right wing was saying, no, that's crazy. You have to be strong and defend yourself. You don't give stuff up unless you're getting a real strong peace deal. And then the other piece was, of course, economics, right? Is it that the left wing were socialists, but over time, the right wing, which was super small, like almost, they were considered fringe elements then. Menachem Begin was the leader of it uh, for a long time. But his point was, no, we need free market capitalists. We're Jews. We know how to make money. Why are you going to just like this system doesn't work? And in the early years, I will say that socialism did work here because you were basically trying to start a country from scratch and everybody sort of shared with each other. And it it, it, it worked. Actually, I think it's fair. I'm not a socialist. I'm against it. But Israel was able to pull it off in the first 20, 30 years. But then inevitably it grinds down. You're not there's no incentive to go create economic growth because you don't get any of it. So that's not necessarily being selfish, but you just don't have any incentive because every dollar you extra shekel that you make is going to go to somebody else. 
when they began to change that because of huge economic crises in the 1980s, 400% inflation, you think you have problems in America with 8%? Try 400% a year. So that was the the end of socialism here, and the process began to move. So both by foreign policy and domestic policy, the countries moved to the right. And so roughly 80 seats out of 120 in our parliament are right-wing or center-right. Right. You know, it's interesting. um, When I was last with you in Israel, we had this conversation about how the differences in American political spectrum, you know, especially when it comes to national security issues, is that in America, you have, you know, sort of a pro-military conservative side and a and more or less a, you know, dovish, you know, let's underfund the military left. And, you know, you can debate the uh, the values inherent in that, especially in the United States. But Israel doesn't have that division because they are under such existential threat. Both left and right are supporting significant military strength in Israel right now. Mostly, but because there's not much left wing, the left wing is pretty dovish still. I'm not sure that they've all learned their lessons and nobody <laughs> wants to put a left winger in charge of the country. And also right. Israelis move to the right you know, if they were far left, they moved to the center. If they were the center, they moved to the right. If they were the right, they moved to the far right. Why? If they did it reluctantly in many ways. Yes, there's also values issues that come to play here, but there really has been a sense that we were promised if we give away Gaza, we'll get yeah. peace. Yeah. We got 20,000 rockets and missiles, and mm-hmm. we, we promised if we gave away southern Lebanon, we would get peace, but we didn't. We got 4,000 missiles. And so we were promised this. And it, so all the promises haven't happened. And so people are like, I'm done with that. Anybody who tells me we're giving stuff up because it'll all be wonderful, there's a high degree of skepticism. And I think that's understandable. Uh, but that is how it's played out. Um, so really, it's a fight here. If you want to be in charge of the whole country as a prime minister, you need to be a right wing person who also appeals to the center and unfortunately, to the far right, there is an element of that which is growing. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you, you sort of in the, in the American context, you, you if you're a Republican, you sort of also need to be appealing to independents and to maybe like-minded Democrats who don't want to give up the name Democrat, but they don't think the Democratic Party is doing well at any given moment, or you know, or vice versa. Sure. Well, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to look into. Who are some of the leaders now? Now, we know that the elections, uh, by the time this podcast airs, will probably have taken place. And so this this uh, shuffling of priorities and candidate names and so forth may may look very different. But as you sit there right now in Jerusalem, who would you say are the leaders that we really need to understand the most uh, in Israeli politics? And, and what are the implications for each one of them in the in the coming political season? Yeah. Well, it's a good question, and, and we've been uh, – on All Israel News, we've been profiling the top leaders. And I've been doing it on the uh, the new Rosenberg Report TV show as well, trying to give people an understanding. Who are the names? Because you know, Netanyahu – Benjamin Netanyahu is a name that many evangelicals, many Americans, they know, right? But he's not the prime minister anymore, and so – and he hasn't been for more than a year. So most people, if you were to do a poll right now – they couldn't name the current prime minister. Uh, they might say Naftali Bennett, but the survey would say, eh, you know, and the reason is because, well, he resigned in the summer because his party blew up, torn between 
which direction they should go. So the current prime minister is Yair Lapid, and we'll talk about him in a moment. But so you have Benjamin Netanyahu, who is, you know, sort of mm-hmm. he's the longest serving prime minister in the history of modern Israel. First was elected to prime minister back in 1996 and then served till 1999 when he lost re-election. Then was out of power, but uh, in terms of being prime minister, but served in many cabinet positions, finance minister, foreign minister, uh, so forth, and then came back in 2009 and remained prime minister. Think of that from 2009 until 2021. That's pretty extraordinary. And he is in the fight, uh, at least as we're talking, to come back. Uh, One of the stories I did on the Rosenberg report was – you know, after the elections, when the dust clears, will Israelis be calling Netanyahu the comeback kid mm-hmm. or saying bye-bye Bibi, his nickname, <laughs> right? And and so we're going to see. But Netanyahu is a name even juggles know, the Americans know, the other people around the world know because he was around for a long time. And he is a world leader. He's not just mm. the leader of a small country of 10 million people. Uh, mm. So let's get back to him in a moment. I will say he's, he's uh, 73 years old. He just celebrated – his uh, his birthday on October 21st. He was born on October 21st, 1949. So he's just about a year older than the whole state of Israel. And so his rise to power, which I profiled in the first show of the Rosenberg Report, is very interesting because he really – the ebbs and flows of the, of the political thinking and the good things that happened to Israel and the bad things that happened to Israel, he's pretty much grown up with all of it. And so – and he was the first prime minister ever to be elected that wasn't from the founder's generation, mm. right? the people that literally started the, the, the new country. Uh, mm-hmm. He was born, of course, after – a year after uh, the rebirth of Israel. So that's Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, back to Yair Lapid, again, a name that most people don't know. He is 58 years old. Uh, was born on November 5th, 1963. I profile him on the second show of the Rosenberg Report. And it's a very interesting story. His father was a Holocaust survivor. Um, he was born in Tel Aviv. So was Netanyahu. Uh, he's significantly younger, of course, than Netanyahu. But his rise to politics is not obvious. He was yeah. a journalist in the IDF uh, rather than a special force commando like Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. Lapid was... After, after he left the army, he became a you know a regular full-time journalist and eventually was given a talk show and he became the most popular talk show host in Israel. He was the Larry King or I don't know what – maybe the uh, – he was a little bit of Stephen Colbert and uh, you know I'm not sure who else. Uh, maybe a little bit of Tucker Carlson, a little bit of Ben Shapiro, all sort of – that's an, an odd mix. I get it. Very popular, very articulate – his father had started a centrist party, a reform party, but it didn't really go that far. But eventually, Lapid decided to go into politics, and he, he started his own reform party called Yesh Atid, which is Hebrew for um, there is a future. And anyway, anyway, you can watch the whole story on uh, Rosenberg Report. But the point is he's now the prime minister of Israel. Now, whether he stays the prime minister is not right. clear. He's a centrist. He draws from – the right, and he also draws from the left. And people on both sides, some, trust him. And again, as we record this, he's on track for maybe 23, 24, 25 seats, yeah. whereas I think right now he has 19. So he's been trending up with his party. People like him. Whether yeah. he can put together another coalition 
it's going to be very difficult for him, but not impossible. Well, this is great. And I think, again, uh, getting an insight on who the current prime minister, Yair Lapid, is, uh, is huge. We've got to take a break right now, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what are some of the differences with, say, Netanyahu and with Bennett and some of the other political players in Israel. Yeah, Benny Gantz, we need to mention uh, he's a rising star here, uh, the defense minister. That's great. Well, we'll come back in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The verse of the day today is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And our prayer requests for today are to, number one, pray for the government of Israel to uphold biblical values and protect believers and provide for national security. And second, pray that Israel's leaders will be righteous and that they will rise and create a climate of peace and prosperity. Well, Joel, we're back, and uh, I'm excited to unpack some of these personalities and some of the differences. You know, politics is sort of a blood sport, but uh, at the same time, it's also like a soap opera, and watching it is sometimes you can't turn away. Uh, it's certainly been that way over the last uh, several years in Israel with, with personalities rising and falling. But let's talk uh, a little bit more about uh, the current prime minister, Yair Lapid, and, uh, and how does he differ from some of his predecessors, you know, and, and some of the others that are there? What, what are some of the things that, that are um, in his uh, profile that you find most fascinating? Yeah. First of all, I think it is important uh, that evangelicals know that, you know, that those who love Yair Lapid, it's because he's very articulate. Netanyahu has that too. Netanyahu's English is perfect. He actually lives in the States for a number of years, uh, lived in Philadelphia as a young boy, and then uh, went to college in the States uh, before he went back to Israel to get into the army and get started with his, his military career. That's Netanyahu. Lapid didn't uh, live in the United States, but his English is, is flawless, has a little bit of a Hungarian accent. That's where his family is from. But it's important because not every Israeli prime minister has been able to communicate outside the country to the rest of the world, particularly the Western world, particularly to the United States. 
Lapid is a warm and very generous person. By the way, I've gotten to know Netanyahu. I've gotten to know Lapid over the years. Benny Gantz, who we'll talk about in a moment, a number of the, the top leadership here. Um, I've interviewed all of them and uh, or most of them. So I'm trying to give you, you know, what I know. I, Lapid, I don't agree with Lapid on everything. For example, uh, maybe the most importantly, he proudly describes his party as the most pro-gay rights party in Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, he, I think he he comes that by that honestly. This is what he really believes. But he's also appealing to a very different group than others, right? So he's appealing to a center-left secular mindset. The religious people in the country don't like him. Don't want to vote for him, but he doesn't like them either. And he's been pretty vocal about believing that the ultra-Orthodox parties in Israel get too much money, have too much political power and sway over everybody else. So, you know, whereas Netanyahu, though he was born in Tel Aviv, he really grew up in Jerusalem and his values are much more Jerusalem. Bibi Netanyahu is not a particularly religious person, but he he reads the Bible. He He's very respectful of the religious communities, and that's where he draws a lot of political strength and power from. Uh, Lapid is a creature of Tel Aviv, much more secular, much more eclectic. Um, he's a novelist. Uh, yeah. He has written nonfiction books. He wrote an autobiography or a biography of his father. He, he, uh, he's written top charted songs in Israel. He appeared in a movie a few <laughs> years ago. And like I said, he was a talk show host. So he's got this very Renaissance man, eclectic thing. He's so different. Netanyahu is a button down, you know, very focused uh, businessman like person in it when it comes to politics. And Lapid is more, gregarious, I would say. Here, by the way, being pro-gay rights isn't even a topic. Like Netanyahu actively courts the gay community as well. He doesn't get as many as Lapid, but he actively is courting them. In fact, Netanyahu was the first ever prime minister in the history of Israel to appoint an openly gay cabinet Hmm. minister. Hmm. So these are things that most evangelicals wouldn't know and wouldn't think of. There's another key distinctive between these two, and then we'll get to some of the other characters. And they are characters. They're interesting. So I mentioned that Netanyahu gets a lot of his political support from the ultra-Orthodox parties. And Lapid is against the ultra-Orthodox parties. Okay. So why does that matter? Because if you ask most evangelicals that love Israel in the United States or Canada, for example, they have a very high regard for Netanyahu. They see him as a defender of Israel, uh, you know, fighting to protect Israel from radical Islam and apocalyptic Islam, dealing with Iran very decisively, and really operating as a world leader. American evangelicals see Netanyahu as a statesman because that's who he is on TV. And, and it's true. It's a, it's a major part of his life and personality. But there is the other Netanyahu. There's a Netanyahu who's a sausage maker here in Israel. He is somebody who you know, is is trying to get legislation passed. He's trying to build coalitions. And and there's a lot of people who were his top political aides, his most trusted advisors, who now feel stabbed in the back and have left him. So that's interesting. Whereas Lapid, you find very few people who feel burned by Lapid. But, but the difference for evangelicals in America is they think I heard Gordon Robertson from uh, CBN News interviewed Bibi Netanyahu. Netanyahu has a new book out. I just got it. Uh, it's it's his memoirs. It's it's fascinating. I'm just starting it. You know, I'm not, I don't get any uh, royalties from it, so I encourage people to read his his new memoir. And he was interviewed on CBN, 
And and Gordon Robertson effectively endorsed him. I mean, he was just Netanyahu has been courting evangelicals for so long. There's a real trust there, and they tend to overlook or ignore or just think it's not relevant to them. You know, the whole gay rights thing or some of these other issues. But but believers in Jesus here in Israel, some of them absolutely love Netanyahu, but many of them don't. Mm-hmm. Why? Because Netanyahu has tied his political fortunes to this ultra orthodox wing of the country. Mm. Now, the ultra-Orthodox are the ones that are absolutely against Messianic Jews, absolutely against a Jew believing in Jesus, whereas secular or traditional people are like, yeah, it's not my favorite, but okay. I mean, there's a much more openness and tolerance. So ironically, the Lapid world has drawn a lot of support from Messianic believers, evangelical believers here in Israel who are Israeli citizens. Now, that's not the only party they go to, but very few evangelicals in America or outside the country can imagine why a believer here doesn't see Netanyahu the same way. And that's partly because they're seeing it close up and they see Netanyahu's – not Netanyahu himself, but Netanyahu's political allies as being diametrically opposed to their interests – and that's a big thing here. But Lapid is, is too left or too centrist for most believers. So then they have started to gravitate towards someone named Benny Gantz. I'll, I'll take a breath there so you can process. But they're, but they're very interesting people. I, I, I've been fascinated with getting to know these all of them over the years. Yeah, I think that's a profound implication and, and thought process, you know, that sometimes as evangelicals in, in the West, we don't really see the the implications for being aligned with, say, the ultra-Orthodox in Israel and just how oppressive that can be to believers in Yeshua, uh, Messianic believers as Jews. And it is fascinating to see that sometimes in politics, uh, and in other parts of society as well, there are groups that we don't align with on everything, but who for a certain reason and a certain season are advantageous for believers in Israel to align with or support. But we'll have to see, won't we? I mean, the uh, the reality is this is a constantly uh, stirring pot uh, in Israel, and uh, the parliamentary system uh, seems to make alliances and and fractures uh, more often than there's good falafel made in Jerusalem. Uh, so, but, uh, but that leads to two other people that you absolutely need to know. So one is the defense minister, Benny Gantz. So uh, Gantz is, what is he? He's 63. So you have Lapid is 58. Gantz is 63. Netanyahu is 73. Gantz is a lifetime military man. And spent, I think, 34 years in the Israeli Defense Forces, rising to be the top guy, the chief of staff of the entire Israeli army. And then retired from the military and took a break, went into business for a while. But then he decided, I mean, many people were persuading him, you need to come into politics. You are center right. You're not center left, but you're not far right. And we need someone that we can trust who has that credibility and who can serve someday as prime minister who we can trust – is a military man and can deal with Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas and all these other threats, but also maybe isn't Bibi. So he emerged several years ago. Now, the whole story is on All Israel News, on Rosenberg Report. I'm not going to get into all of it because it, it gets a little complicated. But the bottom line is I just did a story for Rosenberg Report that many people are looking at Benny Gantz right now as a potential kingmaker mm. or even king. 
meaning he could emerge as the next prime minister because both sides, it hasn't been clear from the polling that either Netanyahu or Lapid could gain enough seats to become prime minister. And if they couldn't, they would absolutely need Gantz. And therefore, his price might be, sure, I'll help you get to the top, but I want to serve as prime minister first, maybe for the first two years, and then you, Netanyahu, or you, Lapid, you can serve for the next two years. And that has sure. happened here in Israel. In fact, Netanyahu made a deal like that with Gantz several years ago, and then after Bibi had served for two years, found a way to break the deal. So sure. anyway... But Gantz is someone to look to because a number of believers who want the strength and security-mindedness of a Netanyahu but are troubled by the whole ultra-Orthodox side but don't want to go all the way to the center or maybe to the left as a Lapid are looking for an alternative. And so Bibi and his party has the most. They're in the mid-30s in terms of the number of seats. Lapid is the mid-20s. And uh, Gantz is going to come in around 12, 13, 14, something like that. Now, there's one other. There's the, the party that's coming up fast and it's going to become – by the time this podcast plays, this is going to be the number one story about Israel's political system. So we, we, we bury hey, the lead here. here first. Here folks. we go. <laughs> there's a new party that has emerged. It's actually a, it's a fusion of two parties. One is called Religious Zionism and the other is Otsma Yehudit. That's Hebrew for uh, Jewish power. Now, these are, uh, again, I just did a story on this for All Israel News and Rosenberg Report. So I, I commend that. We'll put those links in the show notes so you can understand them more. But here's the deal. They are roundly denounced by Jewish groups in Israel, by Jewish groups in the United States, by U.S. senators and congressmen and many as racists, anti-Arab uh, extremists. Uh, some describe them as fascists. This is not just being religious, but I'll give you an example. Uh, we did a story for All Israel News where one of our reporters reported that these two names, Betzalel Smotrich, you got to remember that name, Betzalel Smotrich. You just remember by his last name, Smotrich. He's about 42 years old. He's a lawyer, and he's, he's a far-right-wing leader of religious Zionism. And he just brought into his party the head of this other party, and that guy's name is Itamar Ben-Gavir. So Smotrich and Ben-Gavir. Now, Ben-Gavir is a 46-year-old lawyer, and he has represented most of the Jewish extremists and alleged terrorists in the country over the years. Hmm. A few years ago, he was the lawyer for a Jewish extremist who murdered three Palestinians, including a two-year-old child, in the middle of their sleep, in the middle of the night. Mm. Ben Gavir also uh, was the lawyer for a Jewish extremist who set fire to a church in the Galilee, the Church of the Loaves and Fishes, back in 2015. So he runs with a rough crowd, and these two have made unbelievable – I mean, really, I we don't have the time to get into all the details, but the point is – a U.S. senator and a U.S. congressman, among many others, have have warned Netanyahu, listen, this party is growing fast. They went from about six seats, and now that they're four merged together, they, they look like they're on track to get about 14 seats or maybe more. Um, you know, you'll know for sure by the time you listen to this podcast. But the point is that would make them the third or maybe fourth largest party in the country. Wow. 
and they're on the right. They're on the far, far right. So the question is, in the last round of elections, Netanyahu vowed that this guy Ben Gavir would never serve in his government. But he hasn't repeated that pledge. In fact, he intimated the other day that that was not a problem and he they, they would work together. He hasn't commented yet uh, as of this recording on Smotrich. But this is a thing that, that people are warning Netanyahu, don't go there. The w- entire world is going to condemn Israel for bringing alleged racists and extremists. Why would you go there? Why don't you make a, an alliance with all the sort of mainstream yeah. parties, especially when you have 80 to choose from or so? So anyway, that's the short version. We really need to pray. Um, I, the verse that comes to mind is First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, where it talks about the sons of Issachar. And the sons of Issachar are are described in the scriptures as men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. That, I think, is exactly the verse that we should all have as we pray. Lord, you can sovereignly put together, you know, whatever, you can allow whatever government you want to emerge to accomplish your purposes. But what we're praying for are wise, okay, they're going to be flawed people by definition, but at least people who understand what's going on, the threats to the country, the opportunities that are ahead, and know what to do and don't bring shame on the country. So I'm very concerned, and many believers are are becoming very concerned about the rise of this extreme right-wing party. I was going to suggest that that seems to indicate that if that political party gains more power, that the conditions for uh, believers in Yeshua, Messianic believers in Israel, would would continue to deteriorate and would continue to be more and more difficult. Is is that the way you see it, Joel? Yes, but I wouldn't say continue to deteriorate. I mean, what, one of the things that's fascinating, and this Israel gets a lot of credit for this, the mm. legal system has full religious freedom. Like people in the far right wing or the ultra orthodox or wherever they are, or even the left wing, you know, who aren't big fans of religion anyway, like. There's a lot of people here who really despise a Jewish person who believes in Jesus, okay? Mm. But you legally can be one. <laughs> you can be a citizen. You can vote. You can speak. You can meet. You can preach. You can teach. You can make disciples. Like, so it's very important that a country protects its religious minorities. You may mm. not agree with what that person thinks, but they should have the right to believe it and practice it. And that is true here. I have seen that being upheld, even Supreme Court decisions that protect Jewish believers in Jesus, because that is the law. Now, it doesn't mean a bureaucrat or a politician might not harass or stonewall, you know, the various rights that an individual believer has in this country. We definitely see that. But Ultimately, when it gets litigated, the believers win. So that tells you that you have a true democracy and a true religious freedom and rule of law society. But if you put people who are as as extreme, I mean, it's shocking to me as I've been doing the research and writing and reporting on this, because these guys were totally fringe, not even part of the system. And now suddenly they're on the track to be the third largest party and they're asking for the defense ministry, the finance ministry. Like they could run the interior ministry. Like, like our lives yeah. could be deeply affected and it's going to yeah. have uh, big implications and it's something we really need to be praying for. But we also need to be praying for Smotrich and Ben Gavir, like all of these people, to come to faith in Yeshua. 
in Jesus. Right. Like we don't want to say that because somebody has different political views or even extreme dangerous views that they're outside of the love of God. The Apostle Paul would have been in Ben Gavir's party yeah. and Smotrich's party when he was Saul, right? When he was breeding murderous threats against Jews, believers in Jesus. So maybe Ben Gavir is going to be a great preacher of the gospel someday. Maybe a Smotrich will be someday a wonderful pastor and we'll all be like, that's amazing. Like who could have thought it? So we need to pray without cynicism, but we also need to pray without ceasing. Yeah. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't say that better, Joel, you know, as well that Nothing is uh, beyond and no one is beyond the love of God. Nothing is beyond his capacity. And uh, and yet it's important for us to understand who who is on the playing field and who's here and what are their current beliefs and how these things. So uh, kind of finally, in our last question here, what are what are some of the implications for these different parties and their policies with respect to the security of Israel and the current elements that are out there? But perhaps some of these other issues, social issues as well. Yeah. Well, I think uh, one of the things we haven't really talked about much is, is the social issues, except for the the, uh, the gay rights issue. Almost nobody is opposed to gay rights here, except Spotris and Ben Gavir and some of the ultra-Orthodox. So that's where you would have a cultural agreement, except that you wouldn't want to get, you wouldn't want to give any support to those guys and so it, it is just mainstreamed here. The huge gay pride parades in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv every year. And Netanyahu is urging people to go and so is Lapid and the whole thing. So, so that's, a, that's a problem because apparently people haven't read the Bible. Hmm. And the importance of loving people no matter what they believe and how they live. But, but saying, but God has a standard and God loves you and he wants you to know him and you know, we're talking about from the first chapters of Genesis, right? I mean, as as it's all sometimes said in a little bit of a humorous way, God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. And there's a, there's a plan that God has. And you can go against the plan. You have that freedom. But it comes with consequences, physical, emotional, and certainly spiritual. And so it's not loving to just say it doesn't matter. It's loving to say, look, I don't agree with you, but you have the right to be you. Right. But I have the right to tell you God had a different plan for your life. And there are consequences if you just reject that. And mm. the same thing with abortion. It, it is not a topic here. Abortion is a set thing. Every girl in the army gets two or three free abortions if they want them. So the, there's a very small pro-life movement. The Joshua Fund helps encourage and support that small pro-life movement to be stronger and healthier, but it's a problem. There's a, mm. there's something, I, I think the number is somewhere up on something like 20,000 abortions a year in Israel for a small country. That's a lot of babies being murdered. And so th anyway, there's a lot of issues and I can't see any party in Israel, any leader that emerges that makes me go, well, that person really understands, has a biblical worldview and is trying to advance it. So you're mm -hmm. looking for, in politics, in elections, you're looking basically for someone who's the closest while having to swallow the, the idea that uh, some of these things, I just can't believe I'm voting for this, but I don't know who my alternatives are. It's a lost country, but it's a country God loves, 
And it's a country that we're all faithful citizens of, and we want the best for this country. And so the big thing is to ask Christians outside, not just to focus on the names you know and the issues you know, like Iran and all the external threats, but say, wow, there are other issues deeper going on in the Israeli society that need Christians to be faithful in prayer, need them to be educated, because how can you pray for something that you're not even aware of? And, you know, praying for the peace of Jerusalem is important, but if that's all your prayers are, that's better than nothing. But I think the Lord wants us to learn and then pray and then hopefully give to a ministry like the Joshua one that's, that's on the ground and ha- know how to strengthen the church, right? None, there's no, no money or support coming from the top, from the government here. And then even go. Uh, hopefully next year for the 75th anniversary of the modern prophetic state of Israel, uh, we'll have a, a opportunities for uh, people listening to come uh, or to go. Uh, from my side is to come, from your side is to go. And we'll have more information on that uh, in the not too distant future. But but yeah, learn, pray, give and go. And the more you learn about what's really happening here, the more you can translate that into the scriptures you already know to, okay, this is how I need to pray for these leaders, for these issues, for the believers. And that's why I, I'm excited that the Joshua Fund does what it does and that it partners with All Israel News, All Arab News, and the, the Rosenberg Report, because these are ways of educating the church worldwide about what's happening here and in the region. Yeah, it's so exciting. And Joel, again, as someone who gets the privilege of being on these calls uh, with you on a regular basis, I know for our listeners, this is an incredibly uh, important uh, information stream. It's it's educational and it gives us just a great background in understanding what's really taking place. And, and I want to thank you for uh, helping us understand a little bit of the complex and confusing political dynamics and structures in Israel, especially as we approach these uh, elections and and for all of the the implications that are out there. So, um, again, I want to thank you and uh, thanks for thanks for giving us this insight, brother. Well, it's fun to 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 look at a little bit different angle on what's happening here in Israel. And again, I just want to re- reiterate something we mentioned earlier. But you know, the Joshua Fund is not a political organization. It's very explicitly in its charter a nonprofit and a nonpartisan organization. But it's important to understand how do you pray for a country. You can pray for it with with very little information, but I think the more you know, the more focused your prayers can be. And I hope that this podcast is part of that, going into some areas that, you know, you're not going to normally hear on a a Sunday morning, even from an Israeli who's sharing uh, from the scriptures or from a pastor who loves Israel, but isn't necessarily able to have the time to kind of walk you through all these range of issues. So that's one of the things I love about this podcast. So thank you, Carl, as always. Well, you're welcome, Joel. And and to all our listeners, thank you for listening and uh, for your support of this podcast. And of course, you can also hear Joel on the Rosenberg Report uh, Thursdays on TBN. And you can also Get in touch with Joel through All Israel News and All Arab News. Great resources for education. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, you can visit our website at joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what we're doing in the Middle East to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. And how you can participate in the healing work we're doing in this critical region. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.